good morning. Um, this morning, we are going to talk about faith. Um, faith, obviously, is super. Um, without faith, uh, there's a, a verse in Hebrews chapters 11 that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, so like t- this morning, I want to talk about it, and I want to talk about a specific example of faith that's very extraordinary, and even Christ himself marvels at it. He says, this is great faith, and I want to take a dive into that example and to see how we can apply that to our lives. Um, if I can title this, um, I want to title this, this uh, sermon, A Faith Like No Other. Um, and how, how do we achieve a faith like no other? So I'm going to start off in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much just for the opportunity to speak, Lord. I thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the truth that's in it. Lord, I pray that the word spoken through me, Lord, can just be an exposition of truth, nothing else, Lord, none of my opinions, and not just personal convictions, Lord, but I pray that's the truth um, that comes forth from your word, Lord, and from you. Lord, I pray for every heart here that they are continually searching uh, themselves, you know, for any, maybe any sin or any lack of faith or any struggle, Lord, or just how to grow in you, Lord. I pray that hearts are changed through this message, Lord. You know, even if it's for one or even if it's just for myself, Lord. Uh, I pray that anything else besides the truth is, like Laura says, just thrown to the side, Lord. Um, we love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, let's Turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I don't have any slides here uh, this morning, so we're going to stick to the book. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I think I know everybody in here. I think everybody's met me. Um, Those of you I don't know very uh, actually, there's a, there's a few of you guys, I think. So if I haven't met you, my name's Justin. Um, I've been coming H2O for around five, you know, five years. Um, I got married last year, and we're getting ready to move up to Columbus now. So we're starting to transition away. But yeah, H2O's in my home for a while, gotten close with everybody. So they've been, uh, just let me, let me preach once in a while, and just, uh, just to give me practice, I guess. Um, but yeah, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my, ser- and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turn, turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So this is an awesome story. This is a, a story of awesome faith. This is something that we can learn from greatly. And I pray that, you know, even if it's something I don't say or something that I, that I do say, that we take something from this, that we apply this, you know, to our lives, that from this message, our faith can be increased and our relationship with God can grow. Like, this is awesome. 
So I just want to summarize what happened in case you didn't get it. Um, this is early in Christ's ministry. Um, it's in the region of Galilee, which is northern Palestine. Um, it's close to where Christ grew up. Um, he entered the town called Capernaum, and he had actually, um, earlier in Luke, the previous chapter, he had already done you know, some miracles, performed uh, you know, healings, casting out demons. So Christ already gained a reputation for being someone with great power and, could, and, and was a healer. So um, we see that you know, this, this centurion had heard from the Jews that you know, this man could heal people and that he had this servant who was suffering and that he actually cared for this guy. You know, it was, it's kind of weird that a master cares for a servant this greatly, but he went to Christ and said, hey, or he sent people to Christ saying, hey, can you come heal my servant? And when Christ came, he actually sent more messengers saying, hey, you know what, I, I've, you're someone with great power. I'm, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. Um, it's just say the word from where you are and you can heal this man. And so Christ, like I said, turned to the crowd and said, this man has great faith. And then messengers went home and the servant was healed. So just, that's, that's just what's going on here. So why did Jesus marvel at the centurion's faith? Why was this Roman soldier's faith so great that Christ turned to the crowd, paused, and said, this man's faith is great. I haven't seen any other faith like this before. What's so great about it? So let's, let's now, you know, dive into it. I don't really want to leave a stone unturned. And let's see how we can apply that to ourselves. And there's many different ways that we could do this. So the, there's three main things that I kind of want to divide it into. Uh, the centurion presented his faith with humility, great humility. Two, his faith was anchored in the fact, or anchored in Christ's authority. His faith was anchored in Christ's authority. And the third is, he didn't uh, require uh, Christ to pass the test. He didn't make Christ do anything else other than what he was going to do. He didn't make Christ pass the test. So the first one is, the centurion's faith was presented in great humility. In verse 6, we see that um, he, he, told, he sent messengers to Christ saying, Lord, don't even trouble yourself. Don't even come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Right away, we see that he, he was a very humble man. He knew that he was not worthy for someone with such great power, such great prestige to come to his house. He didn't see himself up here. He saw himself as lesser than him. Not, not in a self, low self-esteem way, but in a, in a place um, where he saw himself as less power than this person. He saw himself in a proper way. Now that, that's the first evidence. It, and it says a lot about the man. He was probably very, very wealthy. Very wealthy. He's a centurion. When the Romans would do battle, and they would conquer, and they would pillage, the centurions would gather all the wealth that his army had collected, and then he would distribute it, and he himself would, would uh, keep the greatest cut of the loot. He had probably had great possessions, but his faith was not anchored in his possessions. He didn't come to Christ saying, hey, I have great possessions, so my belief in you is going to gain favor because I have great possessions. That's not like that. Just because he's a rich man doesn't mean he thinks he has more favor with Christ. No, he's humble. That's just one thing. He didn't come to Christ with a desire to earn social standing. Once again, back in ancient Rome, there was a system of patron and client. And what that means is there, was, there were people with great political influence, great financial power, and there would be people that didn't that would, that would come to these guys with great influence and promise to do them a service later if they would give them political influence, if they would give them a leg up now. So we didn't, this, this centurion wasn't coming to Christ as someone wanting, you know, wanting a leg up in life, saying, hey, do this to me and I'll do something for you later. No. He came and said, hey, simply, 
heal my servant. I recognize you have power. I'm, I'm not worthy, but please, I know you have something I don't have. I need you to do this. He came with great humility. He wasn't desiring something. Else. There weren't any, any other intentions here, any underlying motivations. He didn't come demanding Christ to a servant because he was a Roman. At this point in history, if any you know, people or society or civilization could have you know, claimed favor from God or the gods was the Romans. They had, they had conquered the entire Mediterranean world. They instilled an era called Pax Romana, which was a, an era of great peace along the entire Mediterranean world. People could go from one end to the other and not be robbed by bandits because they would be afraid of Roman soldiers coming to slay them. They had created great peace and they had great power. If anyone thought they were better than someone else, it could have been this Roman centurion. Hey, you're a Jew. We've conquered you. Do what I say. I'm doing you a favor by letting you associate yourself with me. No. He saw this, this Jewish teacher, this guy, this homeless teacher, and came to him in humility, saying, please, if you would love to, please come and heal my servant. He didn't see his class or his status as a Roman, his nationality as something you know, to be paraded around. He saw himself in the proper light. He also didn't invoke his rank as centurion. He didn't, he, uh, he didn't see his accomplishment as something to, you know, to invoke before Christ either. There, like, being a centurion, you had to be uh, distinguished in battle. You had to be a great st- st- uh, strategist. You had to be able to run a good administration well within your unit. You had to be a, a, very, a very wise man. That's a great accomplishment. And in fact, it's the stepping stone to any kind of uh, political office or any kind of uh, place of, you know, high prestige in Rome, like, you had to be a centurion to do any of that. So this man was, you know, on a path to greatness, but he didn't see that as something to come to Christ with either. He simply recognized who Christ was, came and said, will you heal my servant? One more thing, he didn't bring up his good deeds and his morality before Christ. Remember, back in the, uh, back in, I think it's verse, um, Verse three and verse four, uh, the first four and five, sorry. The Jews said, hey, this man's worthy of you coming to heal him. That's what they told Jesus. Like, he, he loves the Jews. He built us a synagogue, even though he's a Roman. He's a good man. He deserves for you to come and do this. But once again, the Roman, the Roman centurion did not see himself as worthy, even though he had done great things. Like, he could have seen himself as, hey, I, I, I'm a person who loves the people of God. I've done great things for the people of God. Therefore, this man of God's gonna do great things for me. Why not? I deserve it. But no. Once again, he blows our minds and doesn't even consider this. He comes in great, great humility. So we, I've listed all these things that you know the centurion, honestly, you know. M- as far as like we could see, he had, he had grounds to claim that, Christ, that he deserved for Christ to come and that many people wouldn't blame him if he did. But, you know, how can we apply this to our lives? One, the first the key thing, you and I, we and of ourselves, we, don't, we aren't worthy of God to do anything in our lives. We don't have any right to demand God to do anything, anything, there's nothing in ourselves that we can come to God and say, hey, I believe, I believe in you, and I'm this, so come and do this for me. We don't, have anything, we don't have anything in and of ourselves to do that with. We're not worthy. God is God, and we are not. 
God is the God who created the universe, who has all power, who sees everything, who has power to forgive sins, who has powers to uphold a government or to tear it down. He keeps the worlds you know, orbiting on the sun in their pattern. And yet we think we have something in our small lives that's, that, that we can leverage blessing from God? No. Don't base our faith on things, on stuff, or on, or on positions or status. Nothing like that. What, what are the objects of pride in our lives? What are they? Are they similar to what the... What, like to the things that the centurion had in his life? Are you a good person? Is your moral record impeccable? Do you see that? And then you put faith in God and say, surely he'll bless me because I've been a good person. Like remember, think about this. Look, it's not that you're actually doubting God, but you're believing in something else alongside God. You're believing in something else's power alongside God's power. In fact, you're actually placing your faith in these things to get God to do what you want. And now that we look at it, our faith is not in God at all. It's in our things. We found security and, you know, these things, leveraging control from God. We think our good works are going to make God do something for us. Or our, our positions going to make God do something for us. That he favors us. We're not even looking at God. We're looking at things that we can control and that we can do. That's not right. And that gets us nowhere. That's not faith. That's putting value in things that really don't have value. If these things have a grip on our hearts... We're putting our faith in them and not in God. It's as simple as that. Let me read Philippians 3, 7 through 9. These, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. It says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom have I suffered the loss of all things? And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, Paul got it. It's like these things that we have in our lives, we, they're nothing. They really are nothing. They get us nowhere. In fact, they separate us from Christ if we put, if we put them too high. There's, if we look at our, our possessions, our, 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 our status, our, 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 our morality, we're not even looking at God at all. Like there's, there's not a relationship there. It, it doesn't exist. See, the first thing was the Roman centurion presented his faith in great humility. They weren't anchored in anything. Nothing else was brought into it. But he was low and God was high. Second thing is the centurion's faith was rooted in Christ's authority. He simply knew that Christ had power and he acted on that belief. Simply that. So the first part, of the first part about this is he didn't doubt. He didn't doubt despite making a very miraculous request. This is the first interaction he's had with Christ, and he's asking God to heal somebody. It's not that he's asking for a promotion or asking for God to get rid of a, you know, some stress or anxiety in his life, you know, to maybe help out his finances or to, just to bless him with some sort of, uh, you know, better circumstance. No, he's asking God to heal somebody who's suffering, who's potentially at the point of death. That's a huge request to come to God on your first request with. That's, that's huge faith. Like that's levels of trust that I don't think we, m- many followers in Christ have after years and years and years of, of relationship with him have. 
If any of you lacks, this is James 1, 5 through 7, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. To doubt is to undermine everything, everything we do. Everything. So the second part is he recognized power and authority when he saw it. Um, in verse, let me see where it is. In verse 8, it says, let me read it of, of Luke chapter 7. It says, For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This man has experience exercising authority. So when he sees authority, he recognizes it and respects it and walks the line according you know, to what, it's, what that authority is. Think about this. He, so he heard from testimony and by witnesses that this man could heal sickness, he could heal death, and could, uh, has power over demons. That means he sees those things as inferior to Christ, just like a soldier is, a, a subordinate is to his commanding officer. Think about that kind of relationship. When a soldier, a commander wants a soldier to move, he says move, and when he stops, he expects him to stop then and there. That's the kind of relationship he thinks Christ has with sickness, death, and, and demons. That's, that's great authority that he's placing on Christ through testimony. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe that Christ has the power over sin, death, hell, and the grave where if he says stop, don't move, they have to pause right there? That's great faith. And that's great, that's great power he's putting on Christ. I pray, that we have, I pray that I have that. I lack that kind of faith day in and day out. That's what I need. Let's see. Where am I at? So, and, and the third thing about this, you know, the fact that he was rooting, it was rooted in Christ's authority was he didn't try to repay Christ. No, and what does that have to do with anything? I always talked about how he recognized that Christ has such great power that he was, he was something else to have the kind of authority he had over sin, death, you know, demons. That he knew he was so other that he knew that anything he had, Christ wouldn't have cared about. How does that apply to us? You know, when Christ, when Christ comes and does something for us or when he exercises power in our lives, we feel so obligated to do something. We feel so obligated to work, to do things, to do good deeds or pay him. But no, that's, that's still thinking Christ or God has some kind of you know, attachment to things, that he's like us, that he's down here, that he cares about these material things. That's bringing Christ down, bringing God down to us. No, God is so other, he doesn't care about the things you can give him. He cares about your faith and the relationship, relationship you can have with him. That's what he cares about. He's so different than us. He's not enticed by the things of this world, by the riches of this world, by the favors he, he can have with us. No, nothing like that can attract God. Let's, bring, let's, let's stay on this... Uh, this, thing, this topic of application of, of having our faith, you know, anchored in Christ's authority. Remember, the centurion, like, his first request to Christ was, heal my servant. Nothing is too big for God. Believe that. 
doesn't matter if it's big or small, bring it to God in faith. He has the power. Whether, whether it is an exam that you are struggling with, you're studying for, that you're nervous about, you have a lot of anxiety about, you trust God that his will will be done. That he, that he, if you believe in Christ, what, what is good is gonna happen to you. Like, all things work for your good. Doesn't mean it's what you want, but Christ has, God has you in mind, and whatever happens is for your good. Believe that, he has power to make it happen. Whether it's a sickness, or it's like an ailment in a family member or yourself, God is sovereign over that. Believe that. If there's a family member or there's a loved one or a friend that is without Christ, doesn't have the gospel, you know, and, and the grace is not applied to their lives, and they aren't going to make heaven their home when they die, trust God in the spirit that his conviction will wreck their heart. Trust that there's power in the gospel to save. It can. If you're struggling with a, it was sin and there's something that has a hold in your life, Trust that God can be rid of that. There are thorns in this life, yes, and there's temptations that maybe we will not get rid of, but we don't have to be enslaved to sin. Just believe that. I say that passionately. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. There are things in our life, yes, that God has put there to test us and to uh, keep us from being prideful, and we will struggle, but God does not mean we have to give, God, God promises we don't have to get, give in to that. There's a way out of these temptations. I think I said this earlier, but, but to doubt is to undermine everything we do. I, I mentioned this verse earlier, but Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How, how can we please if we don't, tr- how can we please God if we don't believe he has the power? If we think that he is less than what he is. If we, by our disbelief and our, and our lack of trust, we say, God, you are not all that you say that you are. How can we please someone if we're constantly telling him that with the state of our faith? And here's a point of more, of more of an encouraging note. Let me uh, turn to Colossians 2. Um, please turn with me. It's, it's, it's a great, great passage. Colossians 2, 8 through 15. This, this passage is just one of the best passages to show the authority of God and in Christ, you know, in the gospel. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, meaning Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with putting off the body of the flesh, Sorry, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over, 
triumphing over them in him. This is the God we serve. There's just several things I want to I point out in the scripture. Like the, the whole fullness of God dwells in Christ. Like there's, he, he has all power. There's, there's nothing left that he has to get in order to be God. There's, he's not superior. And it says he has filled us. His spirit is inside of us as believers. As believers, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. You don't need anything else from God to have the fullness of God. There's nothing else. And there's nothing else that you need to be the full, like, to, to have the, all the power of God that you need. You have nothing, you have no need. He's given you everything. He has authority to do that. Sin was destroyed upon the cross. Many times during the Easter season, we think of Christ as this helpless victim. Poor Christ. No, he, this was God's sovereign plan. He dragged sin to the cross and nailed it there. He killed it. Sorry for yelling. I always forget I have a mic on. <laughs> we have an enemy that's been defeated. He said the, the authorities and the rulers, he put them to open shame. I think really it means the spiritual powers of this world. You know, Satan was probably thinking he had triumph and victory when he crucified Christ on this cross. But in fact, he did, it was his own undoing. He put them to open shame. He's like, you screwed up. You did the one thing that made me win, that made me victory, have victory over you. Put them to open shame. Satan's plans failed. And circling back, let this remind you that since God repay, like, gave you all this and provided all this, that you can't repay. Don't even try to repay. That's, that's lessening what Christ did. That's making what Christ did attainable. Like we can actually do something comparable to that to repay you. No, he's so other than that. You can't. The third thing is so the centurion's faith didn't require anything else from Jesus. It was, he had faith based on power. And he didn't need anything else. So, First part about the first component of this is like the centurion didn't require Jesus to fulfill any conditions or you know uh, stay within any kind of boundaries. You know he didn't say you know Christ do this I need you to do it now. He didn't say Christ do this and give me this much money as well or you know make you know keep him from ever being sick in the future or he didn't say, he just said please heal my servant I, you have power do what you're going to do do what you're going to do. He didn't limit the scope of what God what God might will to do. He knew Christ would do what he would do. In fact, he actually gave Christ more room to work by saying, if you want to do it where you're at, do it. Like, you don't have to travel here. Like, I believe you can do it where you're at. He actually opened up, you know, the playing field for God to do more. Second, he didn't, cry, he didn't make Christ do a, a, a test miracle. He didn't make him, you know, do lights in the sky or bring down manna from heaven or uh, turn the, the river into blood like it did in, in, the, in the book of Exodus. No, he didn't make Christ do anything. He just believed. He believed from testimony. He believed from testimony. That's so important. He never met Jesus before. He probably didn't even see Christ before. Like the, the, the Jews came and told him about this guy. 
And this is so interesting. You know, think about the centurion and all the different worldviews and all the different cultures that were surrounding you know, Roman centurions. You know, there was, there was the Roman pantheon. There was Jupiter. There was, you know, there was uh, Hera. There was all these guys. There was Hercules. All these awesome stories of gods that they, had, that, that they upheld and they thought they were awesome and they were powerful. And many, many, many Romans believed in these, sacrificed to them, lived out their lives for these gods. There were the cults surrounding the emperors themselves. They, had a, they thought they had a God in person living in Rome. And no, he still believed that Christ had power. He, saw, you know, he lived amongst Jews and Judaism and you know, thinking they could come to God through the law. And he still believed that Christ had this power. Like, that's so, it's amazing. The Spirit must have been working in this guy's heart. Like, that's the only way I could see that he could, that he could wade through all these different views and these worldviews and these cultures and say, you know, this is the guy I want to come to. It's, it's, a, it's a wonder. So how can we apply this? You know, back to the conditions. Don't, don't give God conditions on when you ask him for something. You know, wh- whether it's you're coming to faith for the first time or whether you're trying to have faith for a struggle or a trial or a request now. Like, don't... don't don't say, Christ, you know, save me and then give me this then or, or now or, or fix this problem. Just have faith that God is going to do what he's going to do. Remember, he's God of the universe. He, sets his own, he has his own will. He has his own plan. He does what he does. Don't give him timelines. <laughs> we do that. And we make some kind of, or I'll do this. You know, let's... No. Give me a girlfriend now or else I'll be unhappy. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> no, don't give God timelines. And, and I don't say that to say these th- the things we want aren't important or anything like that. They're very important to God even. But he wants you to trust him more, that he actually cares, that he cares about you and that he has the power to give with you what you want, but, but what he does give you is best for you or doesn't give you is best for you. Don't give him a list of desired outcomes. Don't, give, don't, t- don't put a, a tag-along list to the thing you, you need or you want or the thing he promises to give you. Don't add any of those things. And then reject the notion that God has to prove to you that he has power, that you have to see him move before you believe. Reject that notion. God isn't obligated just to show up in front of your eyes. He's not obligated. You know, there's a thing like, you know, why does a God just show up in the sky and say, obey, like, obey me, love me, I'm here. Like, why does he just prove his existence? Why, doesn't he? Well, he did at one point. He did it to an entire nation of thousands of people. He did it to the nation of Israel. And what do we see happen to them? They rebelled openly in front of him. They saw the, the Red Sea get split in two. They saw the plagues. They saw deliverance. They saw a wonderful country be provided for them, a homeland. And yet they looked God in the eye and went the opposite direction, rebelled harder than the other people. They were more sinful. Why, why are we better than that? Why do we expect ourselves to be different? What kind of pride do we have? Sight does not produce faith. Sight does not produce faith. I think that's why God has walked that line between full revelation of himself and revealing himself to us in a mystery. So we have to depend on him to reveal himself. 
No, what, what did Israel do? When they saw God, they saw the, the Ten Commandments. They, then, they, then they started to depend on themselves and their own fleshly ability to respond to God how he would want. They started depending on themselves once they saw. If we have to, if we have to uh, lean on the word and depend on the word and what God has told us instead of the things that we see, we have to depend on those words. And we have the, we have the word of God here. Don't be waiting for a visual confirmation because then you'll depend on your own fleshly ability to respond to that and you'll stop looking at that. You know, why, why did you know, Christ, when he came back to life, tell Thomas, you know, yes, you see and believe, but blessed are those who didn't see and believe. And also, when the, when the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders came to Christ later on in his ministry and asked for a sign, say, proof to who you are. The, Christ said, only an adulterous generation asked for a sign. Because it's, what, it's cheating on God. You're cheating on trusting on God. You're, you're, you're believing in yourself and what, how you respond. You're believing in your own effort to, to respond accordingly. Can you stop looking at the filters and the lenses that God has given you to, 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 to see what is right and see what is wrong, and you start trusting in your own senses for what is right and what is wrong. And we have the, we have the gospel. We have the ultimate testimony we have God's written word. He's revealed himself to the point, like the, all we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need to God show up in, in the sky. We don't, God, God is, there are spiritual gifts, but those aren't required to have faith. Those are gifts after faith. Don't let your spiritual gifts be a crutch that you won't believe what God is telling you to do unless you get a spiritual sign or something. That's, that's the same thing the Pharisees were asking for. That's, a, that's an adulterous thing to ask. Put your faith in the word and what God has spoken. That's all we need. So I want this, those are the three main points of the centurion's faith. It was presented in great humility. He didn't think he could, you know, get a favor from God because of who he was or what he had. It was anchored in Christ's authority because he had power. We don't know if he was, you know, if he thought Christ was God or not, but he knew he was he had authority of some sort that was greater than anything else he had seen. And he didn't require anything else from Christ. He saw he had power, he came humbly, and that was it. No practice miracle, no set of list requirements, nothing like that. And I want to ask you, what do you what what is what ails you? What what do you struggle with? Do you, like, are you, are you coming to God day by day, asking for things, but also counting on something in your life to earn God's favor and his blessing? You know, to, to kind of leverage that answer from God? You believe that he can do it, but also that something about you thinks, makes you think he'll do it to you better or first, or he'll actually do it because of those things. What is it? Is it your morality? Are you a good church kid? Do you sing the songs, you know, at the top of your lungs? Do you preach sermons? Do you teach, do you lead a small group? Do you just, does it seem like you're good about, you know, staying away from sin? Like, do you think God's going to bless you more because you, you do those things? Because that's having faith in things about yourself, not in God. Do you doubt that God can actually do what you, what you need him to do or what he says he's going to do? Do you, believe, do you believe God has power over your sin? That it, actually be, that it is actually thrown, you know, to the east as, from, as far as the east is from the west? That God doesn't remember it anymore? 
The God, that Christ actually rose from the dead? Or do you asking God to do all these things alongside of the things he tells you to do, or he tells you he'll do? Christ, you know, give me this, and, but give it, give it to me this way, or give it to me then. Or don't call me to do this now, because I want to do this now. Like, what, what's, is, that where you're, is that where you're at? Do you, do you, you know, find yourself leaning on signs or, you know, you know, clear revelations from God and you feel like you need those things in order to move or instead of going to the Word? Are you relying on yourself to be able to see what God wants you to do instead of, you know, filtering it through the Word, through the truth? Where's your faith? And I pray, if, if you do well with this, if faith is something you, are, you excel at, celebrate I don't, like, I'm, if, you, if this is something you, you do well, I'm not going to rebuke you. I'm not going to tell you you suck because you're doing well. Praise God for that. And I'm serious. It might sound funny, but I'm serious. We need to be able to celebrate the things we do well at and not be ashamed of that. Faith is actually a spiritual gift that's given to some. To not, to, just to not falter when things happen. To be able to believe God when things you know, go wrong or things don't make sense. They go to the Word when things are confusing. There's, that's a gift. And if you have that, spread that around. As the, as the worship band comes up, I just want you to think about all these things. Please, be searching your heart. Um, I, don't think, I don't know if there's a prayer team or not, um, but if you go from this, this, this service, please be thinking, you know, God, how can I grow my faith? What, what's, what if I put onto my faith that doesn't need to be there? How does it need to grow? Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you so much just for speaking. I pray, Lord, that our faiths grow, that we are constantly evaluating you know, what we believe and how we believe. Lord, that we see you and it's in your proper light. We see you, that you have all authority, that you are everything and that we are small. But you, you love us, so we're close to you and we're valuable, but we are small. Lord, I pray that we don't look at these, these things in our lives, these petty things, and we don't ask that you do those things alongside the things you promised. And we don't give you assignments. We don't give you conditions or boundaries that we let you move. Lord, I pray that there's nothing too big in our lives that we, ask, that we, we bring to you that we ask you to do. Show us where our faith is at, Lord, if we fail to bring you those things. Lord, I just thank you for sending your son to die on this cross like old rugged cross, Lord, for our sins, Lord. I pray that we have faith that, that it can save us, Lord. And there's someone in this room tonight that doesn't know you. Maybe doesn't know what I'm talking about, Lord. They know that you came and you died for their sins. Lord, I pray they can have faith in that. They believe that you are God, that you love them, that you want to take them to heaven one day. Lord, thank you in your name, amen.